Well, I remember the first girl that I ever dated, and it was in college. I didn't date anybody until college. I was a freshman. She was a junior. Uh, and, and, and I asked her out for a few reasons. Uh, one is I thought she was pretty. Uh, another reason is I thought we had some things in common, a few things at least. And the third reason is she drove a Jeep Wrangler, which was like my dream car, and I was hoping to get a chance to drive it. Uh, but, I, but I remember, you know, we started going out on dates, and, and I had no idea what I was doing, no, no experience, and uh, was honestly super terrified, but super stoked about our first date. Uh, because even though, like, I had absolutely no experience, I was convinced I was going to impress her because I had been studying. I'd watched a couple chick flicks and, and really studied those kind of like an athlete studies film on his opponent. Uh, so I felt like I knew a little bit what girls were like and, and what they liked. And so, you know, our first date, I, I, took, her, I, took, her to, uh, I took her to the lake. And uh, maybe a little bit overboard the first day, but I took her to the lake. We had a picnic, and, uh, you know, it was, it was cool, whatever. Um, probably not a great idea for a first day. But, uh, but we went out, and we continued to go out. And, and I remember when it got to the point where uh, I, was, I was really wanting to hold her hand. And, guys, you know, like, how scary that initial moment is. Like, when you haven't held this girl's hand before, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I want to hold her hand, but what do I do? How do I initiate this? You know, it's like, do I do it while we're sitting down or while we're standing up? And... I mean, if we're standing up, do I come to the, from the front, or do I sneak attack from the back, or uh, do I ask, like, how awkward would that be? Like, hey, can, can, I, can I hold your hand? Or, I mean, when I do hold her hand, do I cut my fingers, or do I, like, waffle my fingers with her finger, or interdigitate, whatever you want to call that? But anyways, I, I was so scared and nervous, so much adrenaline rush, and, and I finally held her hand. I'm sure it was totally awkward. I don't remember when that happened, I guess, but... We continued to date a few weeks, turned into a few months, and again, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'd never kissed a girl before, other than like my mom when I was, okay, that sounded weird and bad, uh, <laughs> I, you know what I mean, but I'd never kissed a girl, and uh, so I got to a point a few months in the relationship where I'm like, I really want to kiss this girl, and so I was like, okay, I got to wait for like the right moment, and so one night we, uh, we drove in my 1989 Bronco 2. Uh, down to the railroad tracks in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, where this old, I, I don't know if it was abandoned or, or not, but it was like this railroad station. It kind of felt like it was abandoned, and we just went down there to, uh, to talk. And, um, and so we're sitting in the, <laughs> yeah, we're sitting in the car. We're sitting in the car, and I'm, you know, again, like, guys, you know that first kiss. It's like your heart is just, just like, can she see my heart right now? It's like really beating really fast. And, uh, and you know, okay, this is, I mean, 1989 Bronco 2 or it's some abandoned railroad tracks. I mean, how much more romantic does that get? Uh, so I'm thinking this is the moment I'm going to kiss her. And so I finally worked up the courage to kiss her <clears throat> on the mouth. And, uh, and so uh, I leaned over the console to kiss her, and, and, and I, I kissed her. And um, it was absolutely disgusting, to be honest. Uh, it was not what I thought it was going to be. And I'm not saying that I knew what I was doing, but she definitely did not know what she was doing. And, and anyways, like... Uh, <sighs> That didn't ruin the relationship. We continued to date for a couple more months. And, and one of the things, like, if, if you've been in a relationship with a girl for any period of time, like, once you get uh, into it a few months, it comes to a point where uh, certain questions are going to be asked. And certain words are going to be brought up. Words like love, words like marriage uh, are going to be brought up. And I, I remember, just like it was yesterday... Uh, the moment this happened with this girl. We, we had gone with some friends, I think it was spring break, down to Houston, uh, and we were actually staying with a bunch of other people at her family's house. And everybody else had gone to bed. I think we were like there for spring break. We we're going to go to Galveston, things like that. But everybody else had gone to bed this one particular night, and we're sitting in the living room uh, talking. And then all of a sudden in the conversation, she goes, Austin, um, we need to talk. Now, let me pause for a second. Uh, 
Uh, anytime, fellas, a girl says, we need to talk, uh, you need to change the subject. <laughs> but she says, we need to talk. And so uh, I'm like, oh dear, well, I really didn't know that change the subject thing yet, so this totally caught me off guard. She says, we need to talk. I'm like, all right, cool, let's talk. And she says, I need to know where this is going. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, I'm good. I can totally answer this, skirt around it, you know, I'm good. But before I could jump in and answer, uh, she goes, we need to talk. I I really need to know where this is going. Do you love me? Okay, now pause for a second, guys. If a girl ever asks you, do you love me, uh, you can't change the subject. You have to answer the question. Uh, And so she says, we need to talk. Uh, I need to know where this is going. Do you love me? And so I responded, baby. (laughs) Said baby. I did say baby. Said baby. You know I care about you, right? Now, at this point, guys, just a little lesson here. Like, I've already totally answered this question wrong. 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 Right, ladies, I've answered it wrong. There's only really one way to answer this question, and that is, yes, 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 I I, I love you. If you say no, that's fine. You just need to get out of there quick. But I said, baby, you know I care about you, right? And she's like, ooh. Uh, And and I said, you know I care about you, right? Uh, Love is a really big word. So I guess you could say, like, I'm about three-fourths the way there, like, like I L-O-V, like I lo- love you, the E is just not right, it's not there yet. Now, I, needless to say, the conversation went, woo, way down really fast. But I look back on that situation and think, holy cow, I was clueless. And I remember when all that happened, I started asking myself questions like, what am I doing? Like, why am I dating this girl? Not because not she wasn't like a great girl and everything, but like marriage, love, What is that? Like, I don't even hardly know what those words mean. And it's not like, it's not like I didn't grow up in the church. I mean, it's not like I didn't grow up in the church where they're supposed to talk about these things. But I, 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 I'm being honest with you. I couldn't have told you anything that my church had taught me about sex, love, relationships, marriage, or or anything of the sorts. And it it wasn't because I wasn't paying attention. The reason I couldn't tell you what my church or what I was being taught from God's word about these things is because nobody was really talking about it. And I mean, I was in youth group. We had plenty of those, uh, those relationship talks, you know, and the dating talks, which basically amounted to, uh, don't have sex before marriage or you might get herpes or something worse like that, but no other explanation beyond that. And then those, those talks would always end like, you know, at the end of the night, you all come to the front and you sign like this abstinence till marriage covenant. And then, I don't know, this may be past y'all, but they gave us a book by Joshua Harris. Anybody know the book? Uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which I never read. Uh, But this is a problem. This is a huge problem because we don't talk about sex and love and marriage and relationships enough in the church. In fact, we we, we treat sex and we treat the human body as if it's a taboo topic in the church, as if it's a taboo topic in the Bible, which is not true. You turn to page 2, at least page 2 of my Bible, past the Roman numerals and the table of contents and all that stuff. Chapter 2 of the very first book of the Bible. You know how that chapter ends? It ends with a man and a woman. They get married, and then they do naked sex. Or they have naked sex. Or they have sex naked. That's how it ends. These are not taboo topics in the Bible. The reality is love, sex, weddings, relationships, all of these things find their origins 
in God's word. They all find their meaning, root, meaning rooted in God's word. And because we fail to talk about these things based on what God's word says about them, it has allowed culture to come in and rob them of their true meaning and replace that true meaning with something completely contrary to what God ever intended or designed for them to be and mean. And so the next five weeks, it's simply about us rediscovering the raw truth about love, love sex, and other stuff. And, and, and here's the goal. The goal is simply this, uh, to strip off all of the cultural layers and get to the bare naked grisly truth. Now, before we go any further, uh, let me answer this question that I know some of you are asking. In fact, some of you have actually asked me this. Some of you have made fun of me because of the question I'm about to pose about myself. How can you, Austin, an unmarried 28-year-old guy, teach us uh, uh, lead us through this study on topics that you have little to no experience on? That's a great question. And uh, let me just begin by answering it by saying this. I am not a love doctor. Well, no, no I'm not a love doctor. Uh, and this is not going to be an extensive study that looks at love, sex, dating, relationships, marriage from all these different angles. All I want to do in this series, the next five weeks, is to take the scripture we're going to take, and I want to make as many observations that we can make uh, and learn about this stuff from God's word. And, and one thing, if you don't learn anything else, which you will learn some other stuff, but one of the big things that you are going to learn in this study is you're, you're, you're going to realize that though we, might, though we might lack in wisdom that comes from experience, we are rich in wisdom that comes from God's word. And so turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And as you turn there, it shouldn't take long uh, if your neighbor's having trouble just leave them. <laughs> Genesis 2, 18. And as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of context, okay? Basically, here's what ha is, is, has happened. God has begun the creative process. He has created the universe. He's created the earth, the animals, all the trees, all that good stuff. And uh, history has just begun. There's really not much to talk about. And at this point, Adam is the only human soul who exists on the face of of planet earth. And so we get to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. If you're there, say, got it. All right. Genesis 2.18 says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now let me just start right there and say this. Loneliness is the worst. I mean, it's like this. Uh, you come home late at night and your apartment is empty. Uh, your roommates aren't there or you live alone. And, and I'm Girls, I know that this is definitely an issue with you. Guys, it's definitely an issue with guys that just won't admit it's an issue with them. When you come into your dark apartment at, at home, when you're totally alone, what's the first thing you do? <laughs> Flip on the light. Slowly go in. Am I the only one in here? And you kind of walk in, right? And some of you, you know, you, you like search every crevice of that house. You go up to the bathroom door and you're like, bathroom door's cracked. Did I leave it cracked? And you kind of just like, you know, push it open, totally forgetting there's going to be a mirror right there. And so you see your shadow and about urinate all over yourself. But after you <laughs> regather yourself, you kind of flip the light on, right? And then what do you do? You go in and, and, and you come right up to the shower. Because this is the last, this is the best place a burglar would choose to hide. And then what do you do? And then you whip it back. And you're like, okay, good. I'm good. I'm good now, right? Loneliness is the worst. I had a friend in Lubbock, this, this girl who was so scared of being alone in her apartment, she slept, true story, with a machete under her pillow. But, but in all seriousness, 
But in all seriousness, many, many of you, many of us, we struggle with depression and we struggle with fear because of loneliness. I mean, some of you, you struggle with depression because, because you don't have friendships and you don't have community or you at least feel that way. And some of you, because you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you fear that you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. And some of you probably will. <laughs> Just kidding. I can say that. Before we get into the heart of, of really what Genesis 2.18 is saying, uh, we need to see this. In, in Genesis 2.18, Adam, he's completely alone. And he's more alone than anybody in this room could ever possibly be. But there's two things I want you to see about this. The first is, even when you feel totally alone, you are never alone. Because you look at Genesis 2, and look, yeah, he's alone, but he's not alone at all. Because God is there with him the whole time. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? This is not an extensive list. You can throw in there things like loneliness. And the answer is, reading on, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first thing you need to see from Genesis 2.18 is, look, even when you feel alone, you're not alone. But the second thing you need to see is this. God knows how you feel when you feel alone. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows how it feels to be alone. I mean, he wasn't just single and unmarried his whole life. But he was alone in many instances in life. Think about how he felt when he was arrested and he was put on this terrible trial and then he was thrown upon the cross and all of his closest friends and followers totally abandoned him. He knew loneliness probably better than any of us in this room could ever experience loneliness. The Son of God, God himself, God knows how you feel. But you read further in Genesis 2.18, or you look, I guess, deeper into Genesis 2.18, and what does it say? Have we even read it yet? Did I ever read it? Well, let's read it. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. All throughout Scripture, this is an interesting statement right here, because all throughout, I'm sorry, not Scripture, but Genesis 1 and the first part of chapter 2, what is God saying over and over? It's good. He's, he creates something. He creates, uh, he creates the stars and the sun, and he looks at him and says, <laughs> That's good. And then he creates the land, and he creates, you know, separates the waters and the land. He does all that stuff, and he, and he looks at it and goes, good. And then he creates, uh, he creates these animals, he creates these birds, and he creates these plants and all that stuff. And what does he say after he creates them? It is good. And then what does he say, though, when he gets to chapter 2, verse 18? He said, it is not good. This is the first time in Scripture that God says it's not good. Why? Why does he say it's bad 
for man or for humans, for us to be alone. Now, now I think there's two ways that we typically go, and it's based on being a guy or a girl. I mean, as a guy, I think we instinctively hear God say it's not good for Adam or for the man to be alone. And we're like, well, I'm glad we're on the same page here because I'm going like 1 Corinthians 7, 9 over here and I'm burning with passion and you gave me a sex drive and I want to use that sex drive, so let's go. Or, or, or girls, you instinctively, it's pretty much the same response, but yours is all centered around, I guess, like Prince Charming and him coming and saving you from the tower and whatever those things are. I, I don't know, but, but I, I think our minds go to this place I think our minds go to this place where we think God is saying it's not good for man to be alone because we think God's looking at Adam and we're thinking that God's looking at Adam and seeing in Adam this sad face of feeling alone and, and wishing that he had a spouse and being so sad that he does not have the opportunity to live happily ever after with this spouse. But the problem is, I don't think that is at all why God is saying it is not good for the man to be alone. He's not saying it for that reason. God had a plan for Adam, and God has a plan for you. But we have got to get away from the cultural cliche way of understanding that statement that God has a plan for me. Because God's plan for you is more about God's bigger plan for himself. So why? Why does God say it's not good for us to be alone? And here's the answer. Because God is on a mission and you look, you, if you were back up to Genesis 1.28, he says, and God blessed them. Now, we're kind of backing up now to where uh, he's created man and women. Um, but, but the way Hebrews wrote, they come back in chapter 2 and explain it in more detail. So that's what's happening. Genesis 1.28, it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, if you fast all the way forward to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is on a mission, and his mission is for this entire planet to be filled with people worshiping him. And he's looking down at Adam, and he knows that it is absolutely impossible for Adam to fulfill this mission by himself. I mean, it is scientifically, biologically, physically impossible for a man to multiply, be fruitful, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth if he's alone. It's a scientific fact that it takes a man and woman to do that. And the reality is, apart from understanding God's greater mission, culture is able to step in and say sexual relationships and marriage relationships can happen between anyone and anything. When we don't have this underlying understanding that relationships ultimately exist for God's greater mission. But even more importantly than that, even bigger than that, Genesis 2.18 is, tr is a truth-packed statement reflecting our need for the church. Because in light of the fact, or in light of God's mission, it's, it is not good for us to be alone because it will take, listen, it will take the collective, cooperative community of the church to carry out and to complete God's mission. And so it, it, it comes to this statement, and this is the big statement of the night. Like, we could stop here. So write this down if you're writing stuff down. God gave us relationships for one reason— to carry out and complete his mission. 
God gave us relationships for one reason, and that is to carry out and to complete his mission. So how does Adam go about finding this mate? How does he go about finding this spouse or finding this special someone? Well, let's read forward. That's where it gets kind of interesting. Chapter 2, verse 19 says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay, so this is what happens. 2.18, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Verse 19 through 20, what we see next happening is God begins to parade these animals in front of Adam and says, I want you to name these animals. And the very next thing that we hear recorded is this statement. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. It gets kind of weird here. What is this implying? They didn't find a suitable helper for Adam, I guess, among the animals. I mean, like, imagine this, okay? It appears that God is taking these animals in front of Adam, and he's saying, okay, what about this one? And Adam's like, well, I'm going to name this one Giraffe, but no, too tall. God's like, all right, what about this one? Well, I'm going to name this one Buffalo, but uh, too hairy. No. Uh, what about this one? Oh, that one's cute. Um, I'm going to name that a cat. But he spends a little bit of time with it, and he's like, whoa, way too manipulative and moody, so no, not that one. <laughs> oh, this one's cool. Okay, I'm going I'm to call this one Dog. Nope, too clingy. All right, moving on. He just keeps going down. Monkey, no, way too loud and talkative, and whoa, that's crazy. But surely at this point, surely at this point, Adam is, is thinking the same thing. So many of us in this room, guys and girls, have probably thought at some point in our lives, what the heck, Lord? How in the world am I supposed to find a suitable mate among all these animals? So how? How are we supposed to go about finding our match? All right, I need to do something here. If you are an unmarried woman in this room, I need you to raise your hand. This should be most everybody. Raise it high. Raise it high. See some of y'all not raising high? Okay. No, no, no. Keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> Fellas, look around. There's a lot of single ladies in here. If you like it, put a ring on it. <laughs> but seriously, Adam had to have been thinking, how am I supposed to go about finding a mate? And he had to have been asking the question, what, what, what do I even look for in a mate? And as he's asking these questions, what does God say? Look. Genesis 2, what does God say? He doesn't say anything in regard to this. You know, it's really interesting. You, you look in, in the Bible, you look in Scripture, and not just here, but all throughout the Bible, it never really says anything about how we're supposed to go about finding our spouse, does it? And you look here, and God never says anything to Adam in regards to how he's supposed to go about finding this mate, finding this suitable helper, this spouse. But, don't hear me wrong. I said God doesn't say anything in regard to how Adam's supposed to go find his spouse. God says something. You back up to verse 15, and it says, it implies that God said this to, to Adam. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you surely shall die. And then you get to chapter, verse 19, and it, it says that then he told Adam to name the animals. So there's a few things that God did say to Adam. And what did he say? He doesn't say, dude, you better, you better start looking. You better start looking for your spouse. He doesn't say, you better start working out, dude. Work on the abs. Uh, you better start, like, you know, using manners and shave. I mean, that's gross. He doesn't say any of that stuff. But what he does say is, work the garden. Care for the garden. Name the animals. And don't eat from that tree over there. God's first matter of business is establishing in you a pattern of obedience. God is way more concerned with you fulfilling your role in his mission than he is with your love life. And God is way more concerned with who you're becoming than who you're pursuing. And even though God doesn't give Adam clear instruction on how he's to find a spouse, he does give him clear instructions, and the same is true for us as well. And it all goes back to this one critical truth. God gives us relationships for one reason, and it's to carry out and it's to complete his mission. And so you get to verse 21. In verse 21 it says, So the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man... Just as a side note, ladies, you are the only thing, living creature, that was not created from dirt. So, God spent some special time on you. <laughs> now, there's a, there's a whole, I feel like, other sermon that could be preached from the text we're studying tonight. And, and I actually want to reference you to uh, last spring we studied through 1 Timothy. And um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we, we get into some things where we had to come back to Genesis 2 and 3. And so I want to actually refer you to, to, to look at it. If you go back to our podcast, Overflow Denton on iTunes or OverflowDenton.com, you can find it on there. 1 Timothy, I think it's called 1 Timothy number 7. We number where it is in the series. And I believe the title is To the Women. It's actually not just to women, but men as well. Um, we talk a lot about Genesis 2 and 3. And I would refer you to go, go listen to that because it goes into depth and into some other things we're not studying tonight. But tonight, this is what I want you to see from what we just read. You look at Genesis 1 and 2, and who was Adam's first relationship with? It was with God. You look at Genesis 2, verses 21 through 22, who was Eve's first relationship with? It was God. Adam was asleep. God stole his rib, created Eve. And then he had time with Eve. He, it says he brought Eve, or brought the woman, uh, to Adam, or to the man. Eve's first relationship with his God w was with God. And I, and I love something that a pastor named Perry Noble uh, says about Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Flip there real quick. It's just one page, one page over. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It says, In the beginning, God... Now, I know that verse 1 and 2 here, Genesis 1, is talking specifically about how God created the universe. But the reality is we all, every single one of us in this room, have to have a beginning with God. We all have to have a beginning with God because just as the universe was nothing but a vast, empty, dark, lifeless void until God came and he brought light to the darkness and brought order to the chaos and brought clarity to the confusion 
and brought life to something where there was no life, our hearts are the same way. Our lives are marked by sin, and because of that, our futures are marked by death until we have a beginning with God. Adam's first relationship was with God. Eve's first relationship was with God. You cannot understand God's plan for relationships until you first have a relationship with him. And you remember, God gives us relationships, why? One reason, to carry out and to complete his mission. But apart from a relationship with God, you will never understand God's mission and you will never discover your role in that mission. And you look at what we're studying tonight, just this text alone. What are the two most important things that we should seek in a spouse? First, do they have a relationship with God? And second, do they understand why it's not good for us to be alone? We should seek someone who compliments us in fulfilling our calling in the mission of God. And this radically changes the way that we see relationships, we understand relationships, we uh, just approach relationships, period. So God, he, he makes Eve out of Adam's rib, and then it says, God brought her to the man. And what do you do, what do you do when you suddenly lay eyes on that person, special someone, future mate, future spouse? at least possibly, candidate. (laughs) Well, what did Adam do? Verse 23 says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I know what you did, God. You stole my rib, bro. I know. Adam speaks. He spoke. I want you to pay attention to this, guys. Adam laid eyes on this woman. He knew. He knew this was the future spouse. And what did he do? He spoke. He initiated the conversation. He was the man. It's okay, girls. He was the man. And he spoke up. Now, some of you guys are thinking, dude, I don't even know what to say. Okay, well, guys, many of you aren't taking notes because girls are over here being so studious and amazing. I love it. And you guys are just like. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you need to take some notes. Borrow some paper, get a pen out. I'm about to give you some stuff. Okay, you're saying, I don't even know uh, what to say if I'm supposed to start this conversation. Well, here's something you need to know, guys. All you got to do is start the conversation. Girls like to talk more than us. So you start the conversation, you're good to go from there. So get your notes out. I'm about to give you some stuff, okay? This is how you start a conversation with a Christian girl. Hey, girl. I was reading through the book of Numbers this morning. And I realized I don't have yours. Or, hey, you know, you know how, uh, you know how, you know how God's word uh, says, 
that you should give drink to the thirsty and food to the hungry. Baby, you look hungry and thirsty. You want to go to dinner? <laughs> or, uh, or, uh, whoo, Bathsheba's got nothing, or you, Bathsheba's got nothing on you. Sorry, I screwed that one up. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, <laughs> so I went on this uh, mission to the beach this summer and the only thing that ended up happen- happening was me missioning you <laughs> okay here's one of my favorite ones uh, guys write these down seriously <laughs> girl how many times am I going to have to march around you to get you to fall for me Okay, okay, okay. You, 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 me, Song of Solomon, the remix, huh? No? No. Okay. <laughs> How would you like to draw, uh, join my purpose-driven life? No, okay. Okay, one more. I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but... Uh... Baby girl. You need prayer? because I am certainly willing to lay my hands on you. Okay, seriously though, don't, don't do any of that, fellas. <laughs> okay, look at what Adam says, seriously. Look at what Adam says. He says, this, is the, this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I mean, God brings this perfectly crafted female human being and says, here you go. And what was Adam's response? I mean, mean, it's kind of weird that he says, it's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I don't know, maybe that was like romantic. You read Song of Solomon, they say weird things and it's romantic. but, But he says, look, he says, whoa, man. Whoa, man, woman. I mean, he's like speechless. And in all seriousness, as we kind of bring this to a close, I'm praying this for each of you. I'm praying this for me. That in God's timing, he will introduce you to your future spouse and you will be blown away just like Adam was. Ladies, that you would be blown away just like Adam was. You won't be saying, whoa, man, but man. (laughs) But here's the thing we have to see. In order for this to work, And in order for our relationships to be everything that God created them to be, two things have to be there. One is, you have to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And the Bible is so clear that because of our sin, and we'll see this in a couple weeks, because of our sin, that relationship with God is completely severed. But in his grace, in his love, it says, he loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to die in our place. The penalty for sin is what? Death. And through trusting in him, all we have to do is respond to his pursuit of us. By responding to his pursuit of us, we can have that relationship restored and fixed and reestablished. So first thing is, is we have to have a relationship with God through Jesus. The second is, we must understand that God created relationships for one reason, and that is to carry out and complete his mission. All right, so now the next two verses, which is my favorite part of this chapter. 
maybe the whole Bible. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's sex. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So this chapter ends. Adam and Eve, they get married. And what I say earlier, they do naked sex. But we'll get there next week.